Is it on? Yes. Hello, guys. <laughs> what an honor, and how much fun have we already had? How for us? Basically, you saw chapter 14 tonight. Um, I've, it comes from two texts, Joshua chapter 14 and Numbers 13 and 14. And so we know we've been going through the book of Joshua for quite a while now. So for those who haven't been entering the promised land, and all that's left to be done is for Joshua to allot the tribes their land. But before he does this, um, he, his old friend Caleb comes to him with a very special request, which we're going to get into. So background to Caleb. If there, those of you who do not know who Caleb is, Caleb is, um, his name means dog, which is also faithful and courage. And what I love about a dog is that they are loyal. And Ray actually said to me the other day, when you give a dog a bone, they are like, will not let go. And Caleb is like this. He saw the promise that God had for him, and he would not let go. He was one of the 12 spies in, um, that Moses sent to the land to spy it out. Ten of these spies came back with a really negative report, uh, report about the land and actually uh, caused fear to ripple through the camp, where Caleb and Joshua were two of the, te- the 12 spies who came back with a positive report, report. And what I love is in Numbers, it actually says that Caleb quieted the people because fear was rippling through the camp, and um, <laughs> fear was rippling through the camp, and Caleb, it actually says, then Caleb quieted the people. And so we are actually called to interrupt fear and silence fear. When we see fear, we are called to silence it because we are a people of faith. And when we keep our eyes on him, not on the giants in the land or the obstacles or anything else, we keep our eyes on him, we understand that as Caleb said, we are well able to overcome it because the Lord is with me. So for those of you who have your Bible, I'd love you to turn to Joshua chapter 14, verse 6, and I'm actually going to read it, so bear with me, it's just from verse 6 to verse 14. So, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. I love how Caleb followed the convictions that God gave him. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. I love that it's repeated. Wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for going, for war, and for going and coming. So now, give me this whole country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. 
Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, the name of Hebron was formerly was Kirith Arba, and Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So that's Joshua chapter 14. I do have some slides. Um, cool. So um, that's, that, we'll come back to this text now. Caleb asked for the hill country of Hebron. So, so I just wanted to give you a little bit of context to what is actually Hebron. Hebron is located 32 kilometers south of Jerusalem, and it's actually quite a significant place, I learned when I d- dived into it. It's the place where Abraham and Sarah, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah were all buried. So it's this, this amazing place. It's derived, Hebron, the name Hebron is actually derived from the Hebrew word um, Havar, which means friend or community. Isn't that amazing? So the promises of God are actually birthed through friendship with Jesus. Hebron later became a city of refuge, and interestingly, David was actually anointed king over Judah in Hebron, and seven and a half years later was anointed king over Israel. So it was actually a place where David was anointed. So there's quite a lot of significance to this land of Hebron that Caleb asked for. So I've just been reflecting on the life of Caleb and really been asking God, what is it about Caleb's life that you want to speak to us about tonight? And what he's actually been downloading from heaven to me the last few months is this whole thing of how do I steward the promises of God? How do I steward the promise of God? And so I've titled my preach, as you can see, Stewardship, the Life of Caleb. And I'm going to speak on a few points tonight, which I'm hoping will all help us, and it's helped me, understand how I can bridge this gap between knowing what the promises of God are and actually laying hold of them. And I really believe this bridge is actually this thing called stewardship. So how do I steward the promises of God that God has for me? So I've got a few points, six points, but I won't take that long. They are prizing the presence. We need to be a people of vision. We need to be a people who build with intention. We need to trust that his promises are unraveled. What is our posture? We're called to serve and celebrate and we're called to cherish the hidden seasons. So prizing the presence. So we know that this was referred to many times, that Caleb inherited the land of Hebron because he wholly followed the Lord, the Lord. I mean, that is literally attributed to Caleb, I think three or four times, three times in Joshua 14, and then the numbers, God actually publicly honored Caleb too. And so what I absolutely love is that God publicly honored Caleb for his devotion to him, his pure devotion to him. But it took Caleb 45 years in the secret place of preparing for this promise. It took him 45 years of sitting with Jesus, keeping his consistent devotion to God um, before he actually possessed the promise of God. The word holy... (laughs) Nick and I are giggling because I couldn't get the word holy right today. I kept saying holly the whole time. And Nick's like, holly is a plant. It's holy, holy. <laughs> so the word holy in Hebrew language is actually, mil, I think it's mili or mil, however you say it, M-I-L-L-E. And this word is actually a verb. It's, it's a doing word. So we are called to wholeheartedly chase 
Jesus, wholeheartedly come and sit at his feet and listen to what he's saying and be with him. The Israelites were instructed constantly to come and collect manna every day. Every day they had to come and collect manna, just the portion they needed for that day, and come back the next day and come back the next day. And so are we called to constantly come back to Jesus, come back to the throne room every single day to collect our daily bread from him. He is our portion. He is our prize. And I want to just encourage us tonight. I have been challenged. Holy Spirit often challenges me. Who am I chasing? Am I chasing the promise or am I chasing the promise giver? Am I chasing the gift or am I chasing the giver? And tonight, I want, I want us to leave here being this community that are known for their indescribable, passionate, furious love for Jesus. That this Jesus, I just actually had a picture while Drew was speaking, but he literally, when we come before him, he literally takes off our rags and places on us his robes of righteousness. And so I want to encourage you tonight that every time you come before Jesus, you come with the robes of righteousness because of what he did at the cross for you. And he sees you through the eyes of Jesus. He doesn't see you because of your past or your sin or um, anything else. He sees you through the lens of, what, of, of the cross of Christ. So we can come boldly and confidently in front of the Father. So what I love about the word Hebron, as I said, is it means friendship or community. So friendship with God produces a people who are pregnant with promise. And Hebron, Sarah was buried in Hebron, and Sarah was pregnant with promise. She, you know, she had promises over her life. So actually, friendship with Jesus produces a people who are pregnant. And tonight, Glenridge, you are pregnant with promise. God sees you, he delights in you, and he wants, he wants to bring you into the fulfillment that he has a destiny over your life, and he has not finished with you yet. 1 Corinthians 2 says, for while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic, Jesus, the crucified Messiah. And I love that Jess just picked up that we love Jesus because actually that's all it's about at the end of the day. It's not about chasing the promises that God has for us. That's an overflow. It's actually that he is our entire portion, that he is our vision, which leads me to my next point actually is vision. <laughs> so God promised Caleb that he would inherit the promised land, but it took him another 40 years to actually realize this promise. And so Caleb had to have vision. Can you imagine? He fought so many battles. He lost loved ones in war. He, um, he saw many rebellions. Yet through it all, he held on to this vision that God was going to give them the land. So what is your vision? Do you have a vision for, life, for your life? Have you shared it with somebody? I really believe it's important that we have vision for our lives. Solomon writes in Proverbs 29, 18, we have to be a people of vision. He says, without vision, people perish. And I have one of my favorite quote, quotes from uh, P.K. Bernard. I do have it up there, tabs. But a man without a vision is a man without a future. And a man without a future will always return to his past. Jesus has dealt with our past, guys. He's dealt with it. It's time to take the land in front of us that God has for us. Vision is the bridge between the present and the future. Vision gives pain a purpose. Vision helps us to persevere. Vision helps us to be ready in and out of season, just like Caleb was. 
He was still as strong today as he was when he was 40, 45. Vision fuels our faith. What is your vision? And Habakkuk, I've, Nick and I are constantly challenged. So normally at the end of every year when it comes to New Year's, we try and get together and write down our plans and our dreams for the next year. And then we get to the, ne- the end of the year and we look and it's actually quite incredible to see how we can cross off the dreams that God has made come true and the promises over our lives. This would be a little bit harder with two kids to get that time, but I really believe it's important. And Habakkuk 2 is, is such a beautiful thing, and I think it's key actually to stewarding the promises God has for us. He says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Isn't that beautiful? It will not delay. Vision is the invisible manager that guides, encourages, and inspires fervent souls who are undertaking the master's supernatural assignment to prepare the planet for his re-entry. What is your vision, guys? My next point is intentionality. So all the other tribes in, in Judah, in Joshua 14, were getting assigned their land. But what I love, it's really stuck out to me, what I loved is how Caleb actually approached Joshua. And he reminded him, it says, um, he reminds me, he says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God. He goes before Joshua and he reminds him of the testimonies. He reminds him of what was spoken. So how intentional are we when it comes to pursuing the things God has for us? Joshua 14, verse 11 says, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. He intentionally prepared for the promise. What made him so strong at 85? He must have intentionally actually kept himself fit. I don't know, kept running, kept gymming, kept doing press-ups, kept, kept it up. Um, so he was literally intentional <laughs> about preparing for the promise. Um, when I was uh, about a teenager, I honestly had a dream and a desire to work at Mr. Price. I was like, that is what I want to do. And um, after studies, I got a job at another firm, but I remember like even taking online courses just to further equip myself. And eventually the time came when I actually got a job at Mr. Price. I got this job, I was so amped, so excited, my dream come true, and I hated every moment. Like, let me just say, I was, it, it actually affected my health. I became completely anemic. I would come home, sleep, wake up, go to work. Like, I remember Nick saying he was so worried about me. And my health took a dive. I hated my job. And so I was only there for a, sh- a short year. And through it, God taught me a lot of lessons. He taught me how to, um, I remember actually asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Because like, and he's like, you know what, just go there and love the one. And I promise you, going there and loving the one, I saw so many radical testimonies of God. And so just learning to steward the season that I was in um, was, was actually key. But anyway, the point of the story is that on my last day at the job, I was driving away and I looked up at the sign, MRP, and I said, Lord, why did you give me this job if you knew I'd hate it? And he instantly said to me, I gave you this job because I want you to know that I am the God who delights in making your dreams come true. 
And so now every day when I drive past MRP, I'm like the God of the, the God who makes my dreams come true. And he used that. I'm like, I know that sometimes, you know, he knew that I didn't like it, but he still gave it to me. But he works for the good of all things. So are we being a people of intention? Josh, um, we also need to be intentional about meditating on the word of God, this word of God. Max actually made this beautiful Bible cover for me. If you need a Bible cover, go to Max. <laughs> but the word of God, we have to be super intentional about meditating on the word of God. Joshua was actually instructed by God to implement nonstop speaking of truth as he made final preparations to enter the promised land. It says, the book, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The Lord's telling Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you, may be a, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. And how's this promise? It says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Such a promise. Charles Spurgeon, just to end this, this point, says, every promise of scripture is a writing of God which may be pleaded before him with this reasonable request, do as thou hast said. The heavenly father will not break his word to his own child. Isn't that beautiful? So my next point is his promises are unrivaled. So Joshua 14 says, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. Isn't that remarkable that he's 85 years old, but he still has the strength to go and fight the giants that he saw right at the beginning? Tonight, I really feel that God is actually breathing on this, but that there is no expiry date on your dreams, and there's no maturation date. You are not too old, you are not too young. God has not forgotten you, you haven't missed the boat. There is no expiry date on your dreams. 2 Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Isn't that beautiful? God is not slow in keeping his promises. And so what are the promises that you are actually holding on to tonight? What is the vision that you have for your life? God is not slow. His timing is perfect. You are not too old. You are not too far gone. You haven't messed up. You are not, you are, you are you are not, not qualified. You are not unworthy, but God sees you. And so I just grabbed some examples of people who saw promises fulfilled over 40, because I really actually feel like it's quite amazing that, that Christian shared about actually what God is doing with our young people, but actually God is so into this entire generation, and if you are sitting here and you are on the old, older side, I don't know, but God is not finished with you yet. There is more for you. There is no expiry date, and his promises on your life are unraveled. They are unraveled. So, Smith Wigglesworth was 48 when he actually responded to the call of God on his life. That's Smith Wigglesworth over there. He's a revivalist, an amazing man. The next one is Ray Kroc, who started McDonald's at the age of 52. The next one is C.S. Lewis. He began writing Narnia, the 
beautiful book and the movie Narnia at the age of 51. And then just some biblical examples. Sarah receives her promised child at the age of 90. Moses was actually 80 when he responded to the call of God and returned to Egypt to request for the release of the Israelites. Isn't that amazing? That actually we look at these people and we think, are they like instant fame? But there was actually a whole journey before leading up to the performance of the promise. And so tonight, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm too old, it's too, it's too late for me, I'm, I'm forgotten about, you have not missed the boat. God has not finished with you yet and there is more. And I think like actually my dad is in a mission trip right now as we speak in Zambia. He's 65 years old. He's led a team of 15 people with him. And yesterday they saw, I think, 75 salvations. And so many people set free. So, yeah, guys, run after the promises of God. Job 33, I just want to, Job 33, just want to declare this. It says, let his flesh become fresher in the youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Just want to declare over you tonight. Let, that you will return to the days of your youthful vigor. Psalm 103 says, your youth is renewed like the eagle. Find the promises of God, guys, and declare them over your life. And to the young, I've spoken to those who are older, to the young, we heard from Ray 1 Timothy 4, don't let anyone look, on down, look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And I went through again to find some examples because we've heard what God is doing with the young. But there is no junior Holy Spirit in you. You have the fullness of Christ in you. Ephesians 3.19 says, may we be filled with the fullness of God, that the same resurrecting power of Jesus that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, lives in Jenny Ward, lives in little Malachi, lives in little Judah. The same fullness of God lives in our children. Alexander the Great was 18 when he conquered the countries. William Pitt was made prime minister at the age of 24. Louis Braille was only 15 years old when he invented the Braille system. David was a teenager when he killed Goliath. Joseph was only 17. Jeremiah was called, a, was called to be a prophet in his youth. Timothy was around the age of 18 when he started to work with Paul. And Evan Roberts, who led the Welsh Revival, was only 26 years old when, when he was um, doing that. So isn't it amazing, guys, actually, when we respond to the call of God and we give him our yes, what he can do with us? I shared the story at prayer meeting, but I'm going to share it again. Is Tom Crandall was just sharing a story of um, what happened in the healing rooms at Bethel. And they have children drawing in the healing rooms because... There's no junior Holy Spirit. And often we'll ask for, um, we'll draw pictures just because I, I really believe God honors our childlike faith. And um, a child was drawing a picture of a really messy dinosaur eating crabs. And when the person in the healing room says, who is this for? This little child says, it's for that guy over there. It's this big German guy. And this German guy bursts into tears immediately and what's so insignificant and incredible is that crabs in German actually means cancer. And so this guy had stomach cancer. And this child drew a, a drawing of a dinosaur eating crabs. I mean, isn't that remarkable? And we are called to have childlike faith like this. I remember even I went to the Philippines on a mission trip once. And 
the leader would literally get adults to draw childlike drawings. And I'm no artist. We would literally draw pictures and would see what God would do. And I remember asking God, what do you want to heal tonight? And he was like, I want to just draw a nose. So I drew a nose, like a childlike drawing. Went up, we we're having a revival meeting, and I said, I feel like God wants to heal somebody who's got something wrong with their nose. And somebody actually came up who had um, lost their sense of smell. And we prayed for them, and they were completely healed and were able to smell again. And just the delight. And so I've just seen countless times where God has used childlike faith. Um, and in Isaiah 11, verse 6, it actually says, A little child shall lead them. And we see here tonight how we've seen with the, the kids dancing, and children will lead us into the presence of God. So we need what you carry on your life, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're a baby, we need what you carry. And I just want to encourage us tonight that your own story carries anointing, your own unique story, that heaven celebrates your uniqueness. And so... We're also called to be a people who serve and celebrate. Proverbs 11 verse 27 says, living your life seeking what is good for others brings untold favor. So I've been pondering. So Joshua and Caleb journeyed together for 40 plus years. They literally were the two spies that went into the land. Caleb was actually the one that silenced the people and said, we can overcome this. Yet Joshua was actually promoted as leader. How did Caleb feel when Joshua was promoted and the favor of God came onto Joshua and not him? And I think that Caleb definitely did celebrate and he served really well. And I think this is a key lesson to us is how do we steward the promise of God? We actually call to celebrate others. That when we see people um, receiving favor that we've actually been wanting, and often God does that, don't you think it's strange? That he'll give somebody else the very thing that you've been wanting. I know he's done that with me. It's like, come on, God, I'm here too. And I think it's often out of a fear that, that the promises are going to run out because they got it and I didn't and there's not enough for me. But actually, there's more than enough in the kingdom of God and there's more than enough because he died. There's, more, there's abundance in the kingdom of heaven. And so what is our response when the people around us are receiving favor and God's doing stuff on their life? Let's be a people who celebrate other people, that celebrate the favor of God, that serve, that encourage, that speak words of life, that call the gold out of people. And when we are battling, when we are battling with someone got that and I didn't, I encourage us to pray. Pray until your feelings catch up with your beliefs. I've often got to that point where, you know, I'm like, oh, but Lord, I want it. And God's just like, pray and pray heaps of blessing until my feelings catch up with my beliefs. So we are called to be a people who serve and celebrate. Actually, just want to share this quick story. It was actually Judah's birthday last week. He turned one. And Malachi was really battling to celebrate his brother because he didn't understand why was it Judah's birthday? Why can't it be mine? And he is young, so you can't understand that. But we're like, it's Judah's turn first, and then in October, it's going to be your turn. And I wasn't the best at explaining it, because Malachi was like, what the heck is October? And I don't even know how far away that is. But he really battled to try and understand that he had to celebrate Judah, and his turn was coming. And so we need to celebrate other people. And I think in the kingdom, it's often like that. We, we need to celebrate, because when it is our turn, we're going to want people to celebrate with us. And it's not about that. 
I mean, that's menial stuff, but actually, how do we steward the promises? We're called just to celebrate and serve. Jesus spent his life serving people. We're called to serve people. My last point tonight is that we are called to cherish the seasons. And how do we steward the promises of God that he has for us? We cherish the season that he has for us. We receive our season. Funny enough, today while I was trying to go over this, like I had no time with the two kids today, so I was trying so hard to go over this, and Judah's climbing on me, and I'm like, babe, can't you just take Judah? And he looks at me and he says, receive your season. (laughs) So So I was like, okay, fine, I'll just receive it. Anyway, I think it's so funny. Receive our season. It's actually such truth in it. Receive our season because God's going to bring you into another one. (laughs) But we need to cherish the season. So Caleb labored in secret for nearly 45 years before he got his mountain. He labored in the valley, fought the nation's battles. We don't read much about Caleb except when he's 45, when he was one of the spies and God publicly honored him. And then again when he's 85 now in Joshua 14. So I really believe that between these years, between him being 40 and now 85, he cherished this hidden season well. And so cherish the season, even the hidden ones. We need to cherish and embrace the seasons, even the ones where we feel unseen or when we feel like we're in a season of winter. Don't rush out of them because it's there where our identities get nourished by the one who matters. We learn to live for the audience of one when we're in a season of, of winter or in a hidden season. Psalm 1 refers to a man who meditates day and night on the law. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of living water. Its leaf does, it yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. This deciduous tree knows its seasons. Though in winter the tree looks barren, and we see now often the trees look barren and there's no life to it, it's actually doing its God-intended purpose, and it's prospering even though it's growing ever so slowly. Its fruit is being prepared to blossom in the spring, but it has to go through the season of winter, looking barren to the outside world, though it's actually living out its God-intended purpose. And so when we keep our eyes on the audience of one, I think that we actually, we are actually bearing fruit in the seasons of winter, even though we don't even realize it, because our character's getting redefined, we, our identities are getting nourished by Jesus, we are learning to get our affirmation and approval from him and him alone. Hidden seasons prepare us for the promise. King David was anointed as king as a teen, but in the very next scene, we see him tending sheep in his father's field. Talk about vocational whiplash. I mean, he's like, Todd, I'm, gonna anoint, I'm anointing you as king. And then he goes and does menial labor. There's glory in the mundane. <laughs> it was another 15 years before um, David took the throne. And a majority of those years were spent literally hidden in a cave, hiding from Saul. He prepared, the hidden seasons prepare us. It's the same with Caleb. He was told that he'd be the only one along with the sidekick Joshua to inherit the land. Not even Moses and Aaron were exempt from this promise, only Joshua and Caleb. Yet it still took another 40 years for him to walk into the destiny God had for him. 
Caleb's strength and tenacity was not developed in the palace. They were forged in boring hours of menial labor, wandering the wilderness, collecting the manna, camping in the deserts, learning to lead, developing his tribe, and then the suddenlies of God. Then he stepped into, into his promise. He, he got this land of Hebron. So there's glory in the mundane. Just want to like find the joy in the ordinary. And even when I was at Mr. Price, when I was born, I'd be like, God, what are you doing? And he was like, I, I actually just want you to find things to thank me about. Thankfulness will actually change our perspective on things. So just to close, in Isaiah 45 verse 3 says, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Amen. You are amazing. Receive your season. <laughs> um, I don't think we can listen to a word like that and kind of just 